Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the dubious book of famous deeds. The history podcast that looks at the world through the skewed and unreliable lens of the 1889 British book, The Pictorial Treasury of Famous Men and Famous Deeds, which I found in an alleyway. I'm Paul Bates, your host. I am not a historian, not a scholar, but each episode I do my best to set the record straight on each given subject. And what a subject today. The chapter is called Some Famous Navigators. There are four of them, and they are all maniacs. Christopher Columbus, Vasco da Gama, Amerigo Vespucci, and my favorite, Magellan. I don't know what your feelings are about Christopher Columbus. Today, he's a a very controversial and problematic figure, but... Uh, it's easy to forget that as recently as 1992, when the world was just tripping over itself in an effort to commemorate the 500th anniversary of his so-called discovery of America, he was beloved. There were not one, but two big-budget feature films released about Columbus. His story was still cherished and legendary. And so it's no surprise that this 1889 book, which prizes colonialism above most other things, just loves this guy. So we'll hear this book's account, but also provide some context and fill you in on some of Columbus's deeds that didn't quite make the cut here. My guest for this chapter is a very talented actor and comedian. You've seen her in movies and TV shows from Shazam and Spotlight, to Baroness Von Sketch Show, please welcome Paloma Nunez. Thanks for being here for this. I'm very oh, excited. Here we go. It's chapter 10 of the pictorial treasury of famous men and famous deeds. Some famous navigators. Okay. We begin with the most famous of them all, Christopher Columbus. The exact date and place of his birth are uncertain. He was born probably near Genoa, about the year 1436. His family was of humble origin, but his father, a woolen manufacturer, was in sufficiently easy circumstances to send him to the University of Pavia. He was only 14, however, when he left the school and went to sea, and by the age of 40, had sailed to every part that had ever been sailed before. And at 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. So 92 to 36, if he was born in 36, that, that makes him like on his deathbed when he discovered America. 
well, this is the first thing that the book gets wrong. Columbus was actually born in 1451, not 1436. Okay. The next fact they got wrong is that he never, ever went to the University of Pavia. The history of the great man for many weary years was a checkered one. At length, he obtained the protection of the great Cardinal Archbishop of Toledo. <laughs> not Ohio, not Toledo, Ohio. Not, not yet. And through him was admitted into the presence of the King and Queen of Spain. Back then, nobody really cared about nationalism. It's all like, who could I work for? Whose patronage can I win? And so he is born Italian, works in Portugal, and eventually gains favor, or at least the attention, of the King and Queen of Spain. And I thought he was Spanish. So how, there you go. You know what? I haven't bothered. No, neither have I. There's so much that I didn't know about Columbus. Some of it is uh, a horrific discovery, but others are things like, oh, he didn't get close to where the United States are. He didn't land anywhere near there. <gasps> so the whole false thing. Okay. I know you're going to get to it. So I'll just wait yeah, for yeah, the yeah. reveal, hopefully. Okay. But even now his troubles were not over. The ecclesiastics held that the doctrine of the sphericity of the earth was contrary to the Bible, and heresy was an awful crime in those days. Years passed away, and it was not until Isabella, Queen of Spain, was moved by the thought of the unbelievers of Asia, whom she hoped to convert to the Catholic faith, that the expedition was agreed upon by which Columbus hoped to solve the problem of reaching the East Indies by sailing westward around the globe. Okay, there's lots to unpack here. Okay. Where to begin? The first thing, um, <laughs> the first thing is the doctrine of sphericity. This is a huge myth that people believed the world was flat back then. I remember in school, the main thing I learned about Columbus is that everyone thought he was going to sail off the edge of the earth. And instead, mm -hmm. he made it to America, thus proving that the world was round, which never fully made sense to me even then. I was just like, well, doesn't that just mean he wound up somewhere else? Like, how did he prove the world was round? Anybody who had an education in Europe, in the West, knew since the time of the Greeks that the world was a sphere. Hmm. It was a myth created by Protestants to make the Catholics look bad. They created- like they were this, stupid? Yeah, that they were dogmatic and stupid, which, you know, I mean, the Catholics are very dogmatic. So it, it tracks- this myth persisted and it became very popular by the 1800s that Columbus was the one to debunk the flat earth myth. What else? Let's talk about why this was even happening. There's so many reasons why this plan even got hatched. Number one, Europe was in desperate need of spice because their food mm -hmm. is terrible. Spice was like the oil of its day, the hottest commodity. The spice must yeah. flow. It was like a wildly popular and valuable resource. And they had no access to it because the land route that they had previously taken, Marco Polo had discovered it by finding the Silk Road to China, was cut off. The reason it was cut off was because Muslim Turks had taken over the Ottoman Empire and Christians were no longer allowed to pass through that area. So they had no way of getting to the famed Spice Islands in uh, Malukas, which is, I think, in Malaysia or Indonesia. Yeah, so all the spices or originated in Maluka, as you just said? The spices that we need, uh, we have no access to. And no one knew that they could grow them? 
I, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they didn't have the seeds. Yeah, because it's a plant. Although I have no idea what nutmeg is or how that works. Is it, like, what is nutmeg? I don't even know. It's it's, know. it's a thing that comes in a jar for yeah, me right now. Yeah, it's something I shave once a year. So that was one reason why this trip was even going to happen. The other thing that was happening was a massive religious war that the Spanish were waging against the Arab world. Currently, Spain was under the control of the Catholic monarchs, Ferdinand II and Isabella I. They considered it their duty to fight off the Muslim world and convert as many people around the world as possible to Catholicism. So do um, people hate Jews yet? Oh, yeah. They <laughs> oh, yeah, Jews are always uh, 100%. So the Catholic monarchs of Spain, there were multiple reasons they were interested in Columbus's pitch. It's not to say they bit right away. Columbus sold this plan to King John II of Portugal first, and King John and his advisors were like, it doesn't sound like a good project. We don't think you'll make it. He went to Isabella and Ferdinand with the same pitch. They rejected him twice, but they kept him on retainer because they didn't want him to take his ideas elsewhere, and also they wanted to keep the option open because they desperately needed to raise their status amongst the monarchs of Europe and also the level of their wealth and get an in on trading on that spice. So they held on to Columbus and eventually gave him a shot. And so that means they fund it, right? When you get their support, they're like, here's money. Here's yep. some people to go with you. Yep. Yep. Here's a ship. We're going to outfit your plan. So they hook him up with a ship, huh? Yeah, here's the deal he struck with the king and the queen. On the 17th of April, 1492, <laughs> the treaty with the king of Spain was signed. The dignity of high admiral was to belong to Columbus and to descend to his heirs and successors. He was named viceroy and governor of the new possessions which he hoped to conquer in the rich countries of Asia and one-tenth of the precious stones, gold, and merchandise which he might acquire was to be his. Good gig. 10%. Not bad. Plus, you get to be viceroy for life. I don't know what the term viceroy is, but based on is. all of colonial history and Star Wars Episode One, it sounds uh -huh. like it's always a bad person who's the viceroy. <laughs> so you're automatically a villain, but it's still something you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was going to be admiral. And then the position of admiral gets passed on to his heirs and successors. Like, this is a very good deal. And this was essentially why Columbus was into this. And he was like a lower class person. So we're seeing like a lower class person who didn't even have an education try to like jump up to the upper class world, which yeah, is a rare right. jump. Yeah, that's a that's rare true. jump. That's a very good point. The aim of Columbus was to pass by the west to the land whence come the spices. The discovery of a new continent was not in his thought. It may be that he never knew he had made the discovery of America. I don't know why they're sugarcoating this. He definitely did not know he made the discovery of America. He insisted in the face of mounting evidence all the way to his dying day that he traveled to Asia and India. Uh, and that's why they're called Indians when he landed. Right. So I just want to point out this moment of how people still, like even my grandma will call them Indians. Mm -hmm. And you're like, they're, they're not Indians. They're not from India. But even Columbus thought it was at least Indians because they are from, like he thought they were from <laughs> yes. India. So at least yeah. he was more PC than people who know that that's not the truth and stick by that name. Cleveland, I'm looking at you and your baseball yeah. 
But with the audacity of genius, he ventured himself upon an utterly unknown sea and showed the way to a new hemisphere. We have not space to follow the rest of the story, how on the 11th of October land was discovered, how he made other voyages, how without fault of his own, he fell into disgrace and was brought back to Spain in fetters, how at last Grief at the ingratitude and faithlessness of his sovereign brought him to his grave. Whoa. I like uh, how the book went yada, 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 and then he found it and died. Like they just yada, yada, all his bad stuff. They're skipping the most interesting part. You don't just write, oh, we don't have time to talk about how he fell into disgrace and got brought back to Spain in fetters. It's like, well, yes, you do. This book's enormous. Tell us how that happened. We don't want to that's, hear about how he was a picture seller. That's the story. Seller. That's the story. You buried <laughs> yeah. the lead. Yeah. Anyways, he definitely, by his own fault, fell into disgrace. Columbus made a total of four voyages to the West. On his third voyage, he and his brothers were de facto governors of the first Spanish colony in Hispaniola, the island that is home to both the Dominican Republic and Haiti. So he had set up the first Spanish colony in what is now the Dominican Republic. There, they enslaved indigenous <gasps> peoples by the thousands forced them as labor to work in gold and silver mines, sent them back in chains to Europe to be sold into slavery there. And even by the standards of 1500s Europe was especially cruel and brutal to them. He would mutilate <gasps> faces and bodies as punishment. He would demand tokens of payment from each mm -hmm. slave. And if they weren't able to produce gold for him, he would cut their hands off. And of course, they would bleed to death. It was essentially an execution. Jesus. Um, and he and his men killed and raped at will. Now, was the Spanish government saying like, oh man, this is abhorrent. He needs to come home. It's probably more likely that he pissed off the wrong Spaniards and they reported back. And so he became a headache to the monarchs of Spain. They sent someone to investigate. The investigation was an open and shut case. Chains were put on Columbus's hands, which is a privilege because he still had them. And he <laughs> was brought back to Spain. And even then, Columbus got to go and take a fourth voyage later on in life to Hispaniola. So he was literally the first Spaniard there. I feel so stupid asking these questions. That's okay. Um, I didn't know this stuff either. I didn't know that it was Central America and the Caribbean that Columbus mainly visited. He was also a religious zealot oh, wow. uh, by this point, referring to himself as the Christ bearer and signing his name with weird mystical symbols that he never fully explained. Yet, why do you think it is that we have Columbus Day? I mean, in the U.S., that's where I started my education because I was born in uh, Chicago and went to school in Florida. Mm -hmm. So I did kindergarten degree two there. And it was all like Columbus, uh, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. So why is it that he's so revered, even though we know all of this? I'll tell you. First of all, America loves a story, right? They wanted a huge story about the discoverer of their land and the founder of their country. But 
those people were all British, right? John Cabot, et cetera. And they had just won a war of independence against the British. So they had to distance themselves from the British. They needed somebody else to commemorate other than these guys. They could have chosen Leif Erikson, I suppose. You know, the Viking who, who found Newfoundland 500 years before Columbus, but they settled on Columbus. That led American writer Washington Irving, the author of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, to write a four-volume history of the life and voyages of Christopher Columbus in 1828. And it is pure historical fiction. Wow. It's fanciful and sentimental and patriotic and kind of intentionally meant to just feel good about being American more than it is about setting down facts. And I think that's where this came from. Skips all the bloody truth about Christopher Columbus, of which there was a lot. And along the way, really establishes and cements the myth that Columbus proved the earth wasn't flat. That's where that comes from, this book by Washington Irving. It was started by Protestants trying to make the Catholics look bad, but it was really amplified by Irving in his book about Columbus. What's that book called? The History of the Life and Voyages of Christopher Columbus. Which um, sounds super official. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So down the road, in 1892, 11 Italian immigrants had been lynched in New Orleans, and President Benjamin Harrison, in an attempt to placate Italian-Americans and ease diplomatic ties with Italy, created Columbus Day, a chance to make Italian-Americans feel good about their heritage and their culture and also elevate their status in society because there was so much anti-immigrant sentiment against them at the time. Columbus Day was created as a one-time holiday, but kept getting celebrated until in the 1900s, it was made officially an annual holiday. Wow. Uh, so the facts were never, ever, ever, ever explored about Columbus. It was just this one thing, Columbus made it to America. It's like Columbus didn't get close to what is America now, but that's the one they picked and that's the one they stuck with. And like this whole cottage industry of historical kind of like supposition has, has kind of grown around him, right? The idea of him breaking bread with like the Native Americans. That's what I imagine, right? Him getting yeah. to New Jersey or something like that and making friends. New York. Yeah, right? <laughs> Ellis Island or some shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that that's how like Thanksgiving came about and then, and then the smallpox blankets. <laughs> so anyway so yeah that's the story of columbus day that's the story of america's relationship with columbus let's move on to our next famous navigator another bit of a dick okay <laughs> yeah uh, another famous navigator was vasco da gama it was on july the 8th 1497 that in command of a fleet of four small vessels he set out from the port of Rastello, it's a port area of Lisbon, upon his famous voyage. He did not sail to the west as Columbus had done, but his object was to sail around Africa. He doubled the Cape of Ooh. Good Hope on the 19th of November. So that's pretty daunting back then. Get all the way down Africa. And it had only first been done in 1488 by Bartolomeu Diaz of Portugal. He became the first European to round the Cape of Good Hope. 
went a little bit north and came back, proving it could be done and renewing an interest in the trade route to Asia by sea. So Vasco da Gama was the first one to make it all the way to India and establish contact for trade. So he, years after apparently Columbus found India, mm-hmm. he finds India. Is nobody talking? Is no one being like, it's very clearly different places. These people speak a different language. It sounds different. That is a great point that these guys did not think to compare notes. Vasco da Gama did not think to do this, neither did Christopher Columbus, to my knowledge, which is extensive. Um, (laughs) They sailed thence after a somewhat varied experience, and on the 18th of May, anchored six miles below Calicut. The rich and wonderful countries for which they had been searching were at last reached. So let's do some context here. So they made it around the Cape. They anchored in Mossel Bay, which is near the bottom of Africa. It's in South Africa now. Successfully bartered for an ox. Both their visits went badly there in Mossel Bay, marred by misunderstandings and mutual hostility. Um, <laughs> I just love it. it. didn't go well. Nobody liked them. Well. Yeah, I didn't like them. <laughs> They made it up to Mozambique and to Mombasa, and there they found a local who could navigate the Indian Sea and make it from Africa to the coast of India. And that's where they get to Calicut, which is pronounced Korikud, but they call it Calicut in this book. The story of the intercourse with the king of Calicut of the arts of diplomacy used, of the varying fortunes of the expedition, is of much interest. In it all, the firmness and real ability of da Gama are apparent. That's my favorite paragraph in this whole book because da Gama was a diplomatic disaster. Oh he, my God. He gets to Calicut and he makes one bad move after the other. Calicut, first of all, was a major trading spot in South Asia. It was called the City of Spices in the Middle Ages for its lively bazaars and its importance as a spice trading city. Everybody was coming through there, mostly Arab merchants. It's like Um, the New York City of the world at this time. It was ruled at the time. Uh, The monarch's title was the Zamorin. A Hindu Raja named Manavikrama was the Zamorin of Calicut. And due to a combination of bad diplomacy and rude behavior, De Gama wore out his welcome very quickly. First oh of my all, God. <laughs> first of it's all, it's just like a fucking rude American tourist immediately landing in India. Okay, and everyone's like, "You suck." De Gama expected everyone there to be Christian. Mm. He didn't uh, realize they would be Hindu. Mm. Um, eventually, though, he was allowed entrance into the Zamorin's court. For an audience with the Zamorin. And you know how you bring like gifts to show the magnificence of your country? The gifts he brought the Zamorin were so paltry and cheap that not only was the Zamorin unimpressed to the point of laughing, uh, people began to wonder if Da Gama and his men were not royal ambassadors, but rather just common pirates. Here's a list of what he brought the Zamorin 12 pieces yeah. of striped cloth, four scarlet hoods. What? Yep. Six hats, four strings of coral, a case of six hand wash basins, a case of sugar. What? Yeah. A case of sugar, two casks of oil, and two jugs of honey. 
And like people would bring their finest dresses or pieces, right? Silks, jewels. Like, I think that the gamma was like, I'm going to trade these trinkets. And they're like, you realize we're in the richest part of the world because of our spice trade. And you're bringing us (laughs) your pantry leftovers. (laughs) He was laughed out of the room. Oh, my Lord. They stayed there for a while. Eventually, tension increased between them and the mainly Arab merchants. And De Gamma failed to leave with a trade agreement. But he did kidnap some Hindus on his way out and take them back to Portugal. On the 10th of August, 1498, the expedition departed from Calicut. Dead calms and contrary winds made their voyage one of three months before reaching the African coast. The crews suffered terribly and thirsty sailors perished. In ignorance of local knowledge, uh, De Gamma chose the worst possible time of year for his departure and set sail against a monsoon. Oh my God. So he doesn't have the weather app then. No, he didn't check the forecast (laughs) or even ask like, hey, when's a good time to leave? Or maybe they were like, yeah, no, no. Now's the good time to leave. Now's a great time. Because they hate him. The expedition reached Portugal in the early part of September and the Admiral was received with stately festivals. He was rewarded with dignities and emoluments as he deserved after so adventurous a voyage. Can you imagine just coming back and just like, I'm back from India. How did it go? It was a catastrophe. And they're like, we're gonna throw you a parade. (laughs) He would end up going back three more times. And uh, each time he did, he came back with a bigger army. That was his diplomacy taking over. We've reached the halfway point, two navigators down, two to go. When we come back, find out how Amerigo Vespucci became the namesake of the Western Hemisphere and was Magellan the first person to circumnavigate the globe? It's debatable. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We're back. We're going to get to Magellan very soon. But first, a little history of Amerigo Vespucci, a man I have never heard of. Yet, two continents are named after him. In fact, those are the only continents named after a single person. Here's a little rundown of where continent names come from, if you're into that kind of thing. Antarctica comes from the Greek opposite of the north. Australia from the Latin terra australis, southern land. I love a practical name. Africa is believed to be named for the Berber people known by the Romans as Afri. And Asia and Europe are believed to derive from the Mesopotamian view of the world. Asia coming from the word asu meaning sunrise, and Europe coming from the word erebu, meaning sunset. Okay, you're, you're enlightened now. Bore someone with that information later today. Okay, so how did Vespucci get half the map named after him? Let's continue in Chapter 10 with Paloma Nunez. 
It is a cause of real and lasting regret that the new world was not named after the man to whom belongs the honor of making the first westward voyage over the great unknown sea. This western continent should have been Colombia, not America. But as it is, the history of the man from whom it gains his name is full of interest. Amerigo Vespucci. You ever hear of him? No. I have never heard of him either, but that's who America was named after. Amerigo Vespucci, belonging to a family of distinction and wealth, was born at Florence, March 9th, day after my birthday, 1451. He left Florence in 1492 and went to Spain, where he occupied himself at first in commercial pursuits. He worked uh, for a bank in whatever form a bank had back then. Oh, so he wasn't auditioning for commercials then? Yeah, exactly. He may have become tired of a situation which he deemed below his powers. He may have been seized with the fever for making new discoveries which the voyages of Columbus stimulated, or he may have hoped to make his fortune rapidly. At any rate, we find him in 1499 attached to an expedition which sailed from the port of Santa Maria. Americus Vespucius, as his name is commonly written, would seem to have been astronomer to the fleet. That would be a navigator. He was the navigator of the fleet. But of course, we used the stars back then to navigate. And so that's why they called him astronomer. In 27 days, the continent of America was sighted at a place named Venezuela because the houses being built on piles reminded the voyagers of Venice. I looked it up. Whoa. That is evidently true. They're talking about palafito or stilt houses over the water. They were like, it's like a small Venice. So Venezuela means little Venice. Huh. Mm -hmm. Still does. Okay. Ineffectual attempts were made to hold intercourse with the natives. If by Intercourse? They mean talking. Okay. But the only uh, reference I could find to what they're talking about was that they tried to kidnap two women, but were fought off by the rest of the village. So. Okay. So, so both literal and metaphorical. One author says that Vespucius had nothing to do with the attachment of his name to the new world. He was for a long time charged with impudence, falsehood, and deceit it being alleged that he wished to veil the glory of Columbus and to arrogate to himself the honor of a discovery which did not belong to him. This was an utterly unfounded accusation. This is all we're really going to read about Vespucci, but this is the most interesting thing about him. That charge of deceit was by writer-philosopher Ralph Waldo Emerson. Not sure why he came at Vespucci like that, but we in fact don't know for sure if Vespucci ever knew the Americas were named after him. He didn't claim the Americas America after himself. In the early 1500s, Vespucci wrote to his former employers, the Medici family, that he didn't believe he'd reached Asia at all, but instead had maybe found some kind of new world. And that's all he really said about it. Because Ooh. the maps that he knew, like the like the data he had on the Spice Islands, didn't match up with what he was finding. He was looking for specific things that he was told to look for. He couldn't find them. He's like, I think I found a new a new land. So so somebody's finally comparing notes. Yes, someone's finally thinking about it. Okay, years later, a translation of that letter lands in the hands of scholars Matthias Ringman and Martin Waldsemula. <laughs> Um, What a name. (laughs) uh, They decide to name the continents after Amerigo and printed a thousand copies of their new map with America listed on the continents. 
And eventually that name grew in popularity, wound up on more and more maps. Vespucci died in 1512, but by the 1530s, the name America was commonly used to describe the so-called New World. What an incredible thing to have happen. Imagine like suddenly there's a land that's called Batia or something, and you're like, you had <laughs> yes. no idea. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to our last navigator and my favorite. My personal oh boy. favorite. I love when yeah. we end with the fave. Columbus discovered the New World. Da Gama sailed around the Cape of Good Hope to the far distant Indies. Vespucius gave a name to the Western continent. America was thought to be a collection of islands, among which was sought the passage which would lead to the Pacific Ocean and to those spice islands, the possession of which would have made the fortune of Spain. The solution of the problem was reserved for a Portuguese in the Spanish service. Ferdinand de Magellan. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. He was born toward the end of the 15th century and was brought up in the house of King John II. King John II, at the time, the King of Portugal. He early embraced a maritime career and made voyages to the Indies. So he had already traveled to the Spice Islands and back. Subjected to slights and insults at the hands of King Emmanuel the new Portuguese king, Magellan publicly changed his nationality and became a citizen of Spain. So what happened there? He had been sent on a ship to Morocco to fight one of Portugal's many battles against the Arab world. And he was wounded there and came away with a permanent limp. And he came back and he asked King Manuel for uh, a raise in his pension as a reward. And he was denied. And he was also <laughs> accused on unfounded reports of selling spoils of war back to the enemy. Magellan was insulted. And the king told him, look, you're not going to get what you're asking for, but you're free to offer your services elsewhere. And that's what Magellan did. There was no real sense of nationalism back then. He was just like, well, maybe the king of Spain will employ me. So he went to Spain and he pitched his services there, just like Columbus did. The expedition of which he was given the command and which was to discover a route leading to the very center of the spice production sailed from the port of Seville September 20th 1519. But he'd already been to the Spice Islands. So why was this an important trip? Like I said, spice was, you know, the oil of its day, right? One of the most valuable and sought after commodities in the world at the time. In a peace treaty, the Portuguese and Spanish drew a line of delineation, a vertical line down the middle of the Atlantic Ocean on a map. Everything east of the line that could be colonized would belong to Portugal. Everything to the West would belong to the Spanish. Bermuda. Bermuda would have belonged to the Spanish. The whole Caribbean would have belonged to the Spanish. Most of South America would have belonged to the Spanish, but Brazil would have belonged to the Portuguese. And that's why they speak Portuguese there. But everything to the East, India would have belonged to the Portuguese. The Spice Islands in Maluka, or Maluku as it's called today, was in a gray area. There was debate as to in whose territory those famed Spice Islands fell. Magellan proposed he could determine that they were in Spanish territory. And furthermore, since they lay east around the coast of Africa, which was in Portuguese water as per that treaty, Magellan promised that he could get there by sailing west. So he's like, we need that spice, but we can't go around Africa. We can't go by India. I'm gonna go the other direction I'm going to do what Columbus couldn't do. 
and I'm going to get to the Spice Islands. So the same thing, the same mission. Yeah, the same mission, only now they know <laughs> that the American continent is there and they know it's not in. But they think it's islands, so they think there's a path through to the Pacific. Okay. That's right. Yeah, I got it. That's right. So he had a fleet of five vessels and they were not big vessels. Of these vessels, the Victoria completed the voyage around the world, anchoring at Seville, September 8th, 1521. He left with five. He came back with one. Like, how small would that be? What do you think it would be, like a 30-foot sailboat? Like These ships were roughly 50 feet. That's small. And how many people on them and all the food they need for, like, anyway. I know. We have not the space to follow the varying fortunes of this remarkable expedition. That's because you spent the whole chapter talking about other bullshit. Well, we really want to know the good stuff. <laughs> yada, yada, yada. Here we go. We found. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There was insubordination among the officers. There were tempests on the sea. Huge discipline problems from the Spanish sailors serving under Magellan. December 13th, they anchored in what is now known as the Bay of Rio de Janeiro. The expedition wintered in St. Julian's Bay, that's in Argentina. Mutiny among the company was quelled only by the sternest measures. At midnight on Easter Day, the Spanish captains led a serious mutiny against Magellan. I don't know how, but Magellan somehow quelled it. He executed one of the mutinous captains and left another one to fend for himself in San Julian, Argentina. They left him behind. Scary, but at the same time, maybe that captain was just like, you know what? This is a fresh start. I'm going to look at this as a positive. I'm going to get myself a sweet shack on the ocean and uh, marry me a beautiful woman. <laughs> maybe that guy had a great life or maybe he died the next day. They and honestly, that's what Ancestry.com is for. <laughs> you can find out if you have connections to that guy. On the 24th of August, 1520, the squadron again put to sea. October 21st, they entered the Straits, which now bear the name of the Great Navigator, and after a 22 days voyage through them, sailed out upon the Pacific Ocean. I just assumed that they would have sailed right down to the bottom below Argentina and Chile and went back up. But they in fact found a passage through Chile that joins the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. There's a straight up channel between mainland South America and another portion of land. That's I had Chile. no idea. Like, the, not the Panama Canal, because that's why they built the Panama Canal, so they don't mm -hmm. have to go around. Mm -hmm. But, but there's like a little one down there. Oh, cool. Yeah, a natural channel. Now, that took about a month getting through that. They literally were like checking every inlet and bay, right? And then they find this channel. The chances that maybe this thing will be a dead end are real. And it is said that when they sighted the Pacific Ocean, the Magellan wept with joy. For four months, they sailed upon this great Pacific Ocean without encountering a storm, but their privations were excessive, meaning they were starving to death. So oh my God. at this point, one of his ships had already shipwrecked on the other side of South America, right, before they entered the channel. Another one had just turned around and deserted before they got through the Strait of Magellan. So they were down to three ships. They were running out of fresh water. They were feeding off of, quote, rat-fouled biscuits. And they had been reduced to eating the leather off of the yard arms of the ship. They were tearing pieces of the boat off and eating it. And I'm sure if anyone died, they yeah. ate them. Oh, that could be. 
I don't know. So they went 99 days before they were able to find fresh food again. Oh my God. It was March the 6th of 1521 that they made landfall in Guam and found fresh food for the first time in almost 100 days. Recruiting at what is now known as Samar Island. I had assumed when I read that that they meant taking slaves, but I think it means converting because that was Magellan's side hustle to convert some natives to Catholicism while he was Oh, there. great. Yep. Recruiting at what is now known as Samar, that's in the Philippines, the expedition set out to explore the Malaysian archipelago. It was at one of these islands in a contest with the natives that Magellan was killed April 27th, 1521. It's like a real Ned Stark moment for the story of Magellan. Yeah. Magellan died halfway through. Um, How did he die? Well... Converting people to Christianity was Magellan's undoing. He Mm. made it to an island called Cebu, where he befriended the Raja Humabon, whom he baptized as Catholic. He was like, yes, bring it on. Make me a Catholic. I love this deal. And Humabon commanded all the local chieftains to also convert. But one, Chief Lapu-Lapu, refused. Magellan decided to win further favor of the local Raja by making an example of Chief Lapu-Lapu and decided to lead a company of 60 men to compel them to convert. They were easily overpowered by the islanders. And when Magellan tried to set fire to their homes, they turned all their focus on him and killed him with spears. Woo! That was it. That was the end of Ferdinand de Magellan. Wow. Nevertheless... Uh (laughs) (laughs) The expedition reduced finally, as we have noted, to one vessel. Two ships ended up making it to the Malucas. One ship tried to make it back to Spain, but didn't get very far as it was no longer seaworthy. That left one ship, the Victoria, captained by Juan Sebastian del Cano, one of the participants in the mutiny against Magellan. Cano determined the crew would never survive a trip back across the Pacific. So it's not like they set out to circumnavigate the globe. They were going to go back the way they came, but he was like, we'll never survive. So he loaded his ship with as much spice as he could and tried his luck in Portuguese waters, hoping that they wouldn't get caught. They sailed across the Indian Ocean and around Africa without managing to encounter a single Portuguese ship. 18 men only were left when the Victoria reached Seville. Magellan had achieved the circumnavigation of the world and had opened a new path for commerce, evidence, certainly, of his great ability as a navigator. The glory of Magellan, says Pigateta, an enthusiastic historian of the expedition, will survive his death. The end. Wow. Magellan's legacy is that his voyage through these waters, has been likened to the first voyages in space. It's hard to look back on it and really, I think, understand the daunting nature of sailing into the unknown. Reading this, there was a lot about navigation that I feel like I was completely ignorant about, like how much navigators had to know about trade winds and westerly winds and currents patterns of the sea and the atmosphere beyond just charting their path under the stars. I think that's why Columbus is still renowned as a navigator, but not as a human being. You know what I mean? 
because he managed to to juggle all of that. Like I know my parents sailed from basically northern Ontario down to the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. And they went through like the St. Lawrence and all of that and they had to choose their time of year because of those things. And I can't imagine fucking going across the ocean and how you would even know what the currents are doing. This yeah. is uncharted territory, literally. That takes an insane amount of will and you know, maybe a fair amount of insanity to believe that you can do that, you know? All for yeah. spice. There's one last story that I learned, and that's the story of Enrique of Malacca. Okay. On a previous voyage to the Spice Islands for Portugal, back when he was working for Portugal, and he didn't go via the Pacific, he went under Africa and along past India. Magellan helped take the city of Malacca in Malaysia, conquered the city, and there he took a servant slash slave named Enrique. He was 14 years old at the time and brought him home west with him. And he also took Enrique with him on his voyage around the world through the Magellan Straits and to Guam and the Spice Islands. Now, Enrique was respected and he was valued among the crew. He knew his stuff on a boat. After Magellan's death, historical accounts of Enrique cease. Magellan's will left him a lot of money and also, more importantly, his freedom. But it seems his crew didn't want to follow through with that. It's possible that Enrique died with Magellan, but it's also possible that he either fled or stayed with the crew. If that's true, and they made it as far as Malacca, then Enrique is in fact the first human to circumnavigate the globe. Holy shit. That's incredible. So that's the story of these famous navigators. I feel like I have no you know, final lesson here except uh, don't try to convert people. I don't know. Don't Maybe take Maybe keep slaves. a journal. Don't keep take slaves. Journal, check your notes, share information, and uh, think of Enrique. Whenever you yeah. travel the world, think of Enrique. And people, you never know if in your genetic stream is a little Enrique. Let's all if we get a little I want to thank Paloma Nunez for joining me. You can find Paloma on Twitter at Paloma Nunez and on Instagram at The Paloma Nunez. She's got a live comedy show starting tonight, September 13th at 9 p.m. Eastern on the Bad Dog Comedy TV YouTube channel. It's called the Nunez Acting School. She plays a renowned acting teacher and she brings on hilarious guests. Check it out, Bad Dog Comedy TV on YouTube. Next episode, we talk a lot about the abolition of slavery in the United States, but did you know, at the same time, there were 23 million serfs living in feudal Russia? We're going to learn about their emancipation and how, as usual, it didn't work out too well for them. The Dubious Book of Famous Deeds is produced and recorded in Toronto. It's part of the Sonar Network. Go to thesonarnetwork.com and check out the many funny and thoughtful podcasts offered there. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave me a review. It goes a long way towards helping this show find its audience. You can subscribe as well so that you never miss an episode. Follow the podcast online at Famous Deeds on Twitter and at Famous.Deeds on Instagram. And you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BatesBot9000. If you want to get in touch, whether to ask questions, correct my work, lodge a complaint, or just say hi, I want to hear from you. Shoot an email to famousdeeds at gmail.com. 
And if you'd like to support the work I put into researching and producing this podcast, why not buy me a coffee? You can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash famous.deeds. It's an easy way to support creators all over the internet. Until next time, I'm Paul Bates. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar! Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.